Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Vitamin C's. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. Tim is back from his fight with COVID. He's looking like he's oh. won the fight just about. You're okay there, Tim? I'm doing a lot better, to be honest. There's a few days I'm like on the tail end of it. I would say I'm at like 90%. I feel like the brain aspect's probably going to be there. So if I if I seem very slow to be thinking, it's because of COVID brain. I'm going to blame everything on fog brain, including any 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 slip-ups I have today. Yeah, I was about to say, that's your way out. And uh, we're joined by a guest. I wanted to make sure Tim was okay before I introduced him. Everyone knows him. Bobby Manning. The guy is blowing up. Bobby, man, last time I spoke to you, you were doing your thing for um it's been a while, right? It was on a different show. But you've just blown up since then. You uh broke some Celtics news over the summer a couple of times, had a few scoops a few times, and then just the other day you were you got some shit from Kevin Durant. So were you definitely blowing up a little bit, man? How does that feel? Yeah, it was a cool week. Uh mean Durant. Um I, I don't know if you saw the picture too. I met West Side Gun and Stove God Cooks at the Celtics game, two of my favorite rappers. So I met some cool people last week and that's that's sort of the the reason we all kind of get into this to some degree is to, you know, meet some of those people you grew up looking up to and or are a fan of right now. It was funny, like I'm around players all the time now. So that kind of you know, I you get used to that, but like seeing those guys who I like listen to all the time, I was like ten times more excited to see them than uh, you know, Durant or Tatum or Brown or any of these other guys I'm around sometimes. And then what happened with Durant? So you just said, hi, you yeah. just asked him a question. And gave so, him... you know, they're pretty guarded there in Brooklyn for obvious reasons. Uh, so I didn't get to ask questions in the presser after the game. But I was walking out of the door. I was kind of pissed because I didn't get to ask my question. And so I like, you know, I'm holding the door behind me and Durant's coming behind me. And so, you know, you walk toward the um, floor and the buses are like in between the press room and the floor. So he's heading over toward the bus, like right next to me. And so I just turned to him and introduced myself. And I said, I'm from Boston. And that's why I think he heard like the accent really come on. He said, you got a thick ass accent. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I asked him for a quick quote about uh, Tatum. And, you know, he, he actually said some stuff that I think makes a lot of sense in terms of like the Celtics really have a good team around him to complement what he does well now. They're bringing out the best out of him. And, you know, he doesn't really see it as much as like Tatum's taking this huge leap individually, as much as like the Celtics taking a big leap as a team here. And, you know, that probably says something about where Durant's at, uh, too, in terms of Brooklyn and where they're at as a team. I'm sure there's some of that. But I was interested to hear his perspective on it, because obviously they worked out together over the summer and, uh, you know, sort of helped each other prepare for this season. So um, it was good. He was cordial. It was after tough loss so you normally players aren't as willing to talk after that so i've always kind of uh, respected durant's openness and ability to go back and forth with people and he was pretty good with me there and i feel like overall too i think the way that i think the way that kevin durant overall has handled the brooklyn situation considering all of the turmoil there I, i think it could all all things considered it could have been a lot worse i think like there's still a chance that he you know, asks out at some point. 
in the future, it, maybe he tries to go to Phoenix, and we're going to get into that, obviously, because the Celtics just absolutely obliterated them the other night. Um, but, you know, considering everything that's going on with Kyrie Irving, the way the Nets handled that, the way they've handled roster building, I've seen superstars handle worse. That's all I'm saying. I, I, think, I think there have been other situations where superstars have just had full-blown meltdowns, and I don't think you could say the same thing for Kevin Durant. I think that's shown a lot of overall maturity with how his career has gone. And I think it's going to change the way that people look at him overall, like in the long run. Well, he's having an incredible season. You look at these numbers, 30 a game, uh, seven rebounds, five assists. He's putting in work and defending at a high level. I think the Nets have been a much better defense. You know, We're probably going to talk about the Celtics defensive turnaround at some point here. But last 15 games, Nets are top eight defense, right above the Celtics, actually, number six. So, they, they've been great on that end. He's a big part of that. He's running their offense pretty much. Him and Kyrie have been doing their thing. So he went back there. It was obviously a frustrating summer. He's talked about it a little bit, you know, why he demanded that trade with Yahoo. And he came back and he's doing his thing. And, you know, that's something I think people have always respected about him too is that, like, he's just he, he's just all about basketball. And I thought he veered away from that a little bit when he asked him to fire Nash and Marks. I really didn't like when he did that. I was obviously a guy who wanted him on the Celtics. Um, but when he did that, I was like, I'm out. And uh, the Celtics obviously made the right choice there, the way it's going for them so far. So, Bobby, man, you're getting ready as we speak to hop on a flight, go out to the West Coast, get catch some sun, avoid that Boston cold for a few days. But you're going to miss, you've missed the blowout, right? So you missed the Celtics absolutely hand and ass whooping to the Phoenix Suns. First of all, before we even get into that game, do you kind of regret not flying out earlier to catch that one as well? I'd love to go to every game. It's, you know, it's, it's dollars and cents though. We, we got to pick our spots, but yeah, that would have been a cool one to see. Obviously you want to see the finals rematch. So we'll be doing that. And then you see uh, LeBron and Kawhi. Those would be some, I think, tougher matchups for the Celtics here, but I am stunned. I mean, the Suns were one point favorites going into that game. No Horford. You expect Phoenix to be able to keep it close, but the way the Celtics defend this, the scheme that we've seen under Joe Missoula, like really brought the worst out of the Suns in terms of like trying to get them to miss mid rangers and cutting off that rim access and really having eight and out of sorts there. Uh, so this defensive resurgence we're seeing from the Celtics here over the last week or two is really exciting because I was worried about them on that end. Like the numbers weren't great. They had a couple games where they really got beat up bad on that end earlier in the year. Now they're starting to look more and more like themselves, and it's coming in line with Rob potentially returning here, which is what they always hoped was going to get them back to that level. Um, but they're starting to do it without him. They did it without Horford against a really good team, and you're just starting to check off those boxes. Like, who could beat the Celtics? Phoenix didn't look good. Uh, Denver, they fought, but you know the Celtics kind of handled them. Memphis, another tough battle, but Celtics handled them. You're just checking off all these teams that are kind of going to be there at the end with uh, Boston. You're still waiting for Christmas because that's a big one. Uh, but they're passing so many tests, and they're passing them emphatically to go up 45. That was unbelievable. That was really one of the more shocking results I've ever seen covering the Celtics. Like That was not in my mind going into that game at all, the fact that it could be a blowout. I honestly... Go ahead, Tim. I, was gonna, I, I thought that DeAndre Ayton was going to have a better game. Like, it seemed like it was all lined up for that. There's no Rob. There's no Al. They started Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin did a lot better than I thought he would. Yeah. And there was just, like, an opportunity there for Aiton to just feast, and he really didn't. He had a few looks early, and he just kind of faded, turned the ball over. Yeah, he he was awful. 
I've watched the Suns a ton this season, like a, a fair, fair amount. And one of the things they usually do offensively is they use Aiton as their hub, right? Similar to what Miami do with Bam. And the Celtics just did such a good job of kind of limiting the passing lanes or forcing Aiton away from that high post where he likes to operate. Because they like to, like, it's a very similar system to what Miami do run with Bam in terms of getting your split cuts off of where Bam, where you've got Aiton. So as as Bobby kind of alluded to, like the Celtics defense did a really good job of shutting that down. And then once you remove Aiton's kind of involvement in that offensive system and you've taken them away from their primary kind of ABC sets and how they like to attack teams, they were just out of sorts because then it is that they kind of went to what we saw from the Celtics a year or two ago where, hey, you shut down what we wanted to do. So now we're going to have to try and beat you as an ISO team. And now we're going to have to try and just drive into the teeth and try and force something. And they just, you could see they were playing erratically. And a lot of that came from not allowing Aiton to do his work around it. Because he's more like a, he's a high post in a corner guy. Taking him away from them areas just really pushed their offense into uncharted territory, man. Yeah. And when I've talked to different guys on the Celtics, they, you know, the first thing you hear is that Rob's got to come back, right? And that's going to solve a lot. Second thing you hear is it's going to come down to a lot of individual efforts on defense. Like guys got to step up in their one-on-one matchups. And this was a really good opportunity. Like you said, Adam, once the Suns went in isolation, all right, Jalen Brown, you got to guard Booker one-on-one. And when Brown can get that individual matchup, he's great. Like I think we've nitpicked his defense a lot over the years. And that's one area where you know he can be great. And he's been awesome the last three games on that end. Smart starting to get better there. I feel like he's starting to get healthier with some of these nights off that they're getting them and, you know, just management. And I, I think the other guys shined out in that game too individually. And now you're, you're really starting to see them build momentum on that and be a little more disruptive. I think they were last in fourth turnovers uh, for a decent amount of this year to start. So they're starting to look more and more like themselves on that end. And, you know, I think part of it is Brown, you know, shaking off some of the occasional offensive struggles. I think those were getting in his head a little bit. He admitted that offense was impacting their defense. And, uh, you know, they're looking a lot more connected, too. And they've got some new guys, right? Hauser, Brogdon, uh, Cornette's playing for the first time with them full-time, Griffin. So there's a few guys that they had to mix in there. And I'm sure they've turned up the intensity on that end, too. So they're, they're getting closer. Now, can they be number one again? That's probably where Rob comes in, uh, and his impact is going to be key there. But they're top ten, you know. I think that's the formula: number one offense and top ten defense can probably win you a championship. Yeah, I've been think... saying this for ages. Sorry, Tim. Um... No, they're at ninth right now, right? I think they're at like I checked it earlier today. I think they're ninth in defensive rating right now, first in offense, first in net rating. Um, and I mean, against the Suns, they had fourteen total steals which was like a big thing for them. Yeah. Um, in terms of that might be the highest they've had in a single game this year, which would mm-hmm. make sense. Uh, I mean, total turnovers for the Suns was 18. So that's what you're trying to get them to do. And I think that's exactly what they ended up doing. Adam talked about it a little bit before, but the fact is they took away a lot of those passing lanes um, away from Aiton in the block. So I think that they're just finding ways to just kind of wriggle in there and disrupt other teams' offenses and force them out of their rhythm. And what that does is it just creates opportunities and they're just jumping all over them. They don't have that high energy guy either, right? Like if you look at like, so the Celtics, their high energy guys, Marcus, but then they added Derek White as a connector that can also do some of that stuff off, like just as a pest. And then like, okay, so earlier today I was watching, uh, who was I watching? 
I was watching the, the the Mavericks, and they've got Josh Green, who's similar, right? He just comes in high energy, just a pest. You've got the Pelicans with Jose Alvarado. That's something that you don't have to worry about against Phoenix that much. Like, I don't see anyone. Crowder was obviously that guy for them, but his situations obviously is what it is. But that's taken so much away from their toughness and their ability to be so a little bit more in your face. And that came, like, when you're coming up against a team like the Celtics, where you've got three of those like high-energy dudes in Brogdon, Smart, and White, it's really difficult to try and contain them. And that's what I think is going to be a good point when we see them play Milwaukee on Christmas Day, because each one of those guys are going to take their time trying to get under Drew Holiday and try and limit Drew Holiday, because that's what they do so well as a, as a trio now. Yeah, they all reinforce each other too. And I, you know, you mentioned White. He's the one that I'm so intrigued by because his role changes every night. Yeah. If Smart's out, he's got to be on the ball and he does quite a bit in that role. And those nights for Smart and Brogdon out, I'm sort of like, man, I wish I could get him the ball more because he, he makes it happen in that role. The pick and roll, he's great at. He's got good chemistry with Tatum there. They have a little two-man game that they get going when, when Smart's out or Brogdon's out and he gets that chance. But then last night, I know he goes one of four from three. That one three they set up to him in the corner. Awesome play. I think Griffin had the back screen, hits in the left corner, and he's been phenomenal as a shooter this year, which changes everything for his game. A lot of that's confidence, a lot of it's comfort, and you have these layers of guys that can attack you. So many guys can make a play. And I think the big thing, and you've talked about this, Adam, is that like Jalen, he doesn't have to focus on playmaking as much because all those guys are out there. And Tatum even, he can play more off-ball and screen and roll because there's so many creators. Uh, and that frees them up so much. The game's looking easy for those two. That's the biggest difference last year to this year, I think, is that last year Tatum's trying to play out of all these doubles and traps and get off the ball, and he's turning the ball over, and he's making mistakes or making bad reads. Now the pressure's not all on him. Uh, you got pretty much everybody on the floor can make a play. And you know all the different opposing coaches that they've, they've faced have talked about that. Like It's that five-out approach. Five playmakers, five shooters. It's impossible to guard. It really is. There's just so much space you got to cover. Too many mismatches a lot of the times if you're not a defense that has guys one through five that can defend. And that's the other thing. The Celtics have that. Not many other teams do. So on the other side, they can dominate you defensively. And you're starting to think, I think their differential is what, plus 12 over the last 15 here? You got to start thinking this could be one of the all-time teams. Like the formulas there, the consistency's there, the great talents there, and they're destroying teams night in and night out. And you're waiting for the shooting numbers to come back down to earth. They're not. Uh, you're waiting for the defense to land where it's going to land, and it looks like it's going up. And so, you know, you're starting to think of them in that Warriors conversation, those Spurs teams with Kawhi Duncan and all the other, you know, future Hall of Famers that were there. Like they're that kind of team. It looks like and. I look around the league, guys. Who's gonna who's gonna beat them? Who's gonna challenge them? It doesn't look like anyone's out there right now. Things can change, but they have it all. Everyone else is really struggling to keep up when they play them. And uh, you know, barring injury, it looks like this team is just gonna race to a championship. The way it's going right now is a long way to go, but it's it's unbelievable what they've accomplished here. My only concern with saying that like they're a historic team is the expectation that comes with that. So if you have this historic offense and this overall just absolute juggernaut team, then there's a lot more pressure on that unit as a whole to, to actually go out there and do the thing. Yeah. And I mean, from the way that they're talking in press conferences, they're keeping it level-headed. They're taking it 
you know, game by game. And they're like, yeah, this is great. That's awesome. We blow out the Suns. It means absolutely nothing if we don't win a championship. Remember Joe after the Hornets game was like, I don't have good vibes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy with this at all. Like, you know, we won a game. Woo. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I'm happy in the sense that they're keeping it grounded. Uh, but I would worry that with all the chatter and stuff that they don't let it get ahead of them. It, but I mean, so far, it seems like that is not the case. So um, I'm hoping it stays that way. And in terms of the way that the Celtics have been trying to manage injuries, I think they've been doing a really good job. They're not rushing Rob back in having Malcolm Brogdon in the backfold there now where you've got that three guard tandem of him, white and smart. It allows you to just stagger those three guys and figure out their minutes. And yeah, you only need 20 minutes from Brogdon. That's been the perfect formula for him. And it's crazy that they can do that. Like no other team get any three of those guards are going to be like a starter level or starter capable level on any other team. Like any other team would love to have any of those three guards as a starting point guard. And the Celtics have all three of them. And it's, it, it's insane that they're able to go ahead and trot any of those guys out. And it's like the offense just doesn't skip a beat because they're all on the same page and the system is just operating so well. Um, I, it's just so much better than I expected it to be. Yeah. I kind of want to push back on you saying that the the pressure is going to be there if you're telling everyone they're a, an historic <laughs> team. Because, you, one, you're playing in Boston, so the pressure is there anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, last year they felt it, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> and then if you look at it like, hey, that season when you had Kyrie, you had uh, Marcus Morris, Gordon Hayward, Al was there, you had Jason, you had Jalen. The pre- that was the pressure cooker season where you had all those names and then nothing worked, right? Everything, everyone was out for their own like agendas. You had Rozier as well, who was really just into the bench role back then. When you look at the pressure they felt then, when they were supposed to be the team that took Golden State and finally knocked them off that perch and would, took over the East for the next five to ten years, I think the pressure then was probably worse than what it is now because the Celtics have had a few more conference finals runs. They've been to the NBA finals and I feel like they're just better equipped to deal with that pressure. And I know that you said this earlier, Bobby, um, you know, some of the stars are more guarded now. So when you look at Jason and Jalen, they are a little bit more protected by the team. They're not they and they're more guarded in they're savvier in how they deal with media themselves, right? They they give an, they give answers, but non-answers. Unless it's yeah. Abby asking questions. Abby seems to get all the great ones. Um but when you look at it from a, a pressure standpoint, dude, I don't think this season's that bad compared to stuff that Jalen and Jason have been through in recent years. Yeah, and I'm thinking of what you say there about their approach with the media. And you know, we love you know, we're fixated on that. We think it matters a lot. I don't know how much it does matter, but there's been a transformation there. I think Tatum's gotten a lot more poise in those spots. I notice him like picking out all these little performances, whether it's Blake's, whether it's Noah Vonley's earlier in the year, like these different like individual efforts. He's really making a making a you know effort to call out and you know give credit to and you know I think manage some of the failures and some of the highs and lows of the season. Like he's really had. Uh, a very vocal presence, I think, on this team. Even some of the goofier moments, like last night, you saw him calling out Grant for that uh, second quarter celebration. Uh, I saw him most back tweeting about that. So, like, he's got a great poise atop this team. It feels like they're really embracing leadership. I saw Jalen kind of take responsibility for some of the turnovers he was going through. That's not something you heard from him in the past. And even compared to last year, at the beginning of the year, when Ime was trying to assign captains, 
and none of them were really too interested in it. Like Smart said, we don't need captains, and Brown nominated Horford, and Tatum was like, yeah, I agree with Smart, we don't need captains. And now, like, they don't have that title, but they're embracing that role without there being a name attached to it. And Tatum, I think, more than anyone else has uh, stepped into that. And I think, like, you know, how much is it leadership? How much is it talent in the system? I think you can probably, like, divvy up certain percentages there. But I don't think you can have a team where there's no voice at the top that everybody's following. And Tatum has just embraced that so much that they're all sort of following his lead. And even Horford, who I think was doing his best to fill that role last year through some of the tough times, has been thrilled to kind of hand that off to Tatum because, you know, it's easier to lead if you're the best player on the team. Doing it from Horford's position where, you know, he's a very important player on the roster, but sort of one of the role guys at this point in his career was a little tougher. So for Tatum to embrace that, I think has been huge for this group. And Brown said as much too. Like Brown's talked about being a leader and, you know, talking about being a leader in this locker room and, you know, night in, night out, regardless of the opponent, like we need to come consistently um, in trying to play the right way. Um, so it is good to see also that Jalen's going into that role. But I think, I think overall the way that Jason Tatum has handled the press is a little bit different. Um, I, I don't know if it's just training. Cause I know that these guys do go through that where it's like, Hey, like this is how you handle these questions. And overall, I just, you can see there's a, just a different poise in both of them, but specifically, as you said, with Jason Tatum, like the way that he's just overall handled situations um, in terms of the public, when they've had losses, you know, how they talk about wins, how he's talked about the MVP talk and chatters, you know, it's all well and good, but like we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got like the ultimate goal in mind is winning a championship. Like we want to get back, you know, back to the finals and get over that hump. So just the way that he's handled that and those kind of comments, it just makes me feel a lot safer with him at the helm. And I think overall, like it's, it's really easy to forget because of how much experience these guys have, how like how young they are. And they've got so many, they've got their best years of basketball ahead of them. And it's just so That's easy what Adam to was talking that. about, like the things that they've gone through so early in their career, like East finals, first two years, uh, team breaking up, team trying to get back on their feet for a couple of years there. Going through those failures was the big one, right? I think that's where they really notice like, all right, these bad habits we have, if we do these, we're going to have a first round exit in 2021. And then, you know, they did go back to those throughout 2022. And when they started doing them in the playoffs, you saw they almost blew the second round. They went down 3-2. They almost blew the East Finals. They, lost, you know, gave up that big lead in Game 7. And then they did blow the Finals. That's another thing you keep hearing is like, man, we saw what we did there, and we can't do it again. And those issues haven't popped up at all this year, which is unbelievable because those things are in their game. Like, there's probably been, like, one night, maybe that Brooklyn game or another one where – they're going a little too ISO heavy. They're not moving the ball. They're not doing all this off-ball stuff that they've emphasized. And you see the results. Like, it's it's not good. And that's popped up so rarely this year. It's unbelievable because even seven months ago in the finals, they were doing those things at times. And uh, just to disastrous results. They've cut the turnovers out. Uh, they're taking better shots section. Uh, you know, they really have this methodical approach to offense. And it's so consistent. They get out to big leads. They hold them. And they're, they're just dominant and, you know, so poised, so mature, like you talk about. And they're going to get better from here, like you say, Tim, because, you know, your prime's usually from like 27 to 30. So super impressive to be able to hit this stride this early in their careers. Brown said it as well, though, right? He was like, 
that finals loss humbled everybody on the roster. Like it was one of those things where everybody kind of had to look at their game and look at their mistakes and kind of swallow it. So coming back this year and be with a bit more of a humble attitude, like, hey, we might be good individually, but we still got our butts whoops and we almost got bounced in three separate rounds. If you include the finals in that as the third round where they did get bounced, there's a big difference in the way they're approaching things. And I think that mainly comes down to mindset. If you hear Tatum speak yesterday, this kind of leads us into the next part of the show is like, we're taking it one game at a time. With you, everyone might feel like this Warriors game is kind of a revenge game or a, let's, a measuring stick to see whether you've evolved enough that the Warriors are no longer a problem, which I don't believe anyway because the Warriors are struggling their asses off right now. So what if, even if you do beat them, what have you learned, really? But he, the, the, Tatum's whole mentality has just shifted, and I think that's the mentality of the whole team is just very... It's tunnel vision at this point. It's championship or bust, and yet... Whenever they've said that in previous years, you've kind of felt like they didn't believe it when they were saying it, right? But now I feel like they're vindicated and it's in their voice. You can hear it. Yeah, and to not have that voice at the top, that's we haven't even mentioned it. The way this year started, Ime getting suspended out of nowhere, days before camp. And listen, I can't imagine how many people bet the under in terms of their win total just because of all that uncertainty rob surgery he may be an out of there joe missoula taking over who no one really knew coming in um you know save for the people that around the team consistently but not the experience you would have expected to be able to come in and lead with this level of uh of level of poise and uh, impactfulness and i think he's done a great job uh they they've overcome a lot and so much of that voice from last year that we've talked about Tatum and Brown taking on that was an emace court last year he was sort of the face of this team in terms of like what they were emphasizing what they were saying publicly you know what direction they were trying to point themselves in so when they lost that you wondered who was going to step into that void and for the players to do it that was very important because regardless of what Joe was going to do or Ime was going to do frankly like the, if, no matter who the coach was the players were going to have to step into that position eventually and for them to be able to do it without Ime, it was really impressive. I think Ime ended up like resetting the culture to an extent. Like there was definitely some weird vibes towards the end of like Brad's tenure. And I, I've, a lot of people have talked about it. And I think I've heard your comments about it before, Bobby. Like, I don't think Brad was getting fired. I think he wanted that front, like front office role and Danny was leaving. Um, but I think overall, like, he didn't have the same impact that he had on the locker room. And I think there needed to be some kind of reset. So when Ime came in, it was kind of like unlearning all of these bad habits, reestablishing these new ideals and like principles and the way we play, if we play the right, you know, we play the right way and we play hard defense, we can always lean on our defense and that's how we're going to win games. Ever since they've had that principle like instilled into them, it's been like a completely different feel around this team. So I think when Ime left, those principles, like the groundwork was still there. And at that point in time, it was Joe coming in there and just galvanizing a locker room that was overall like on the brink of like this, this could have made or make or break the season at that point. And that was before they even like played a single game. Like that could have seriously derailed any franchise and it would have been completely understandable. But Joe went in there and just galvanized a locker room because those principles were like already instilled in them. Credit to Joe, though. He came in there and completely flipped their offensive playbook. Mm-hmm. Like that, That's completely different to what they were running last year, apart from the occasional like Ram section screen. Like 
he, I feel like he he wanted to build on their defense. Like their defense seems very similar in terms of the structure and the way they the way they switch, the way they um, you know, they might go into up to touch. Uh, I know you were having a discussion with Kevin Jelle about that before the season playing up to touch. Yeah, but. The offense itself, like Joe, like credit Joe as well for coming in and being like, right, it may reset the culture and he gave us a defensive blueprint, but let me throw in my offensive blueprint too because I understand, I feel like Joe just had a really good understanding of what the team had in terms of how, like, scorers and how to get the best out of them and what their spots were. And he's put everybody in a position to succeed, man. Everybody, whoever, whoever's getting minutes is finding ways to be, to be beneficial to the rotation. And that was necessary. And we didn't know what that was going to happen there because I think he came into the position and was like, all right, we're not going to change a lot. We have a formula that works. But you're right, Adam. It's been transformative, the offensive system they're running here. And, you know, he he was pretty adamant about that coming in. I've had some conversations with people who said, like, Joe, he took the position and right away he's like, all right, we got to shake up some things the offense is, is doing here. And they spent the whole camp on offense. So, if you're wondering why, like they might have gotten off to a little bit of a sluggish start defensively, that camp was all about offense, instituting these things, again, off to a hot start there. And their willingness to play with the pace that they need to in this system to do all that screening and movement, which is something they didn't do two years ago. Even last year at times, it was a lot of standing around. Uh, and for it to just hit that that quickly, that's still my biggest question is like where that willingness to embrace that kind of play came from and maybe it's joe's messaging maybe it's the trust that they have in him but uh, it's pretty drastically different from what we've seen the last couple of years here in terms of how active this offense is and it's changed everything last year that offense killed them like it dropped way off the map into the postseason i know they were number one at the end of the year but a lot of that was running off of stops and taking advantage of the disruptive miss defensively now in the half court they're historic and to be able to unlock that like it obviously does speak to joe's basketball mind and a lot of the talk you've heard of I guess I heard on the broadcast the Suns were looking at bringing him in uh, the Jazz were looking to hire him as head coach and then assistant coach and uh, the Celtics were pretty guarded in keeping him and saw him as a guy who could step into that role eventually and obviously they weren't looking at having a head coach opening anytime soon but things sort of aligned with Will Hardy leaving Joe being there Doka getting suspended and all of a sudden I'm not ready to say this yet but it's hard to argue against the fact that Joe's done a better job than Emes did so far. And we'll see where that goes. There's going to be some bigger spots. There's going to be some challenges that he's going to have to face. I feel like things really haven't gone wrong yet to the degree where he's going to have to step in and do some difficult things. But, um, you know, he's, I've heard that he's been tough on the guys at times, Jalen and the turnovers. Uh, you know, Damon Stardemeyer has been a guy who's gotten on smart about some of the sloppy play at times. So they do get tough with them still. But there really hasn't been a need to step in and you know have some difficult conversations yet because it's all gone so well so far. Uh, one interesting thing when you Elton, mentioned you're never this bad with. Uh, uh, no, I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna jump in. I always assume that someone else is gonna say something. I don't know if you guys saw it today, but I thought it was interesting and it made me think of it, Bobby, when you mentioned um, Monty Williams saying that he. He had contacted the Celtics, but it was back during the Brad Stevens era yeah. when he was starting to make his staff out. And he, the Celtics were like, no, you you can't talk to him. And that's how much they value Joe, even way back when, um, when Brad was coaching still. Um, apparently before, and I'm sure you guys saw this circulating doing rounds on Twitter, but apparently at one point, um, J.J. Redick had a conversation with Joe Missoula 
Um, this was from the episode of uh, the uh, JJ Reddick podcast with Derek White. Derek White was um, the guest on there and apparently talked about how um, this was right after everything happened with Ime. Uh, Joe went on a golf, uh, went out on a golf course and played a couple hours of golf with JJ Reddick and apparently was talking to him about potentially coming on as like an assistant on the Celtics staff. And that was back before the season started. But apparently like that's how he kind of got a read on Joe and the kind of guy he was and apparently was just blown away um with the way that he was talking about everything. Man, would you could you imagine JJ Reddick on this on this coaching staff? Like I don't even know what role he would be. Like, would he be a well, shooting ben coach? Sullivan, well, Ben Sullivan's a shooting coach, and you've seen the benefits there with what he's done with Derek White. Mm-hmm. Like, where, what else does JJ Reddit bring? Like, I'm not saying he wouldn't... Like, he's played on some really good teams, and he had a really long career. So he could definitely help. But we've seen, like, you know, when Evan Turner came in in that unofficial coach role, like, it lasted a year and then it kind of went away and it was more of like a player liaison between the players and the coaching staff because I felt like there was a bit of a disconnect there. So I'm just not sure what type of system, like, what would you be asking Reddick to do? Yeah, who knows what, what he did that for. I'm still curious about what's going to happen with that staff here and I'm sure there was some uncertainty at the time of what's going to happen here. Like, who's going to stick on? Who might end up somewhere else? Uh, and that question's still going to be there. It's kind of, it's still strange night in and night out seeing Joe with this group of Ime guys, Ben Sullivan, Ime friend from Portland, uh, you know, Damon Stoudemire, Ime friend from Portland, up and down that coaching staff. These were all Ime guys. Joe was the only guy from that Brad era. And you wonder how that's going to shift into this year. You, you almost got that awkward situation. It came so close, Ime coaching in Brooklyn. And you would have already had that first matchup between the two teams there. And obviously, Nets went in a different direction. Ime's still here, suspended. I don't know what's going to happen there. Seems like he'll never coach this team again. But uh, where does that leave the assistants who weren't hired by Joe? You know, everything I've heard is they have a great relationship. But, um, you know, you wonder what will happen there. Because, you know, assistants come and go every year. And Joe will have to start filling those spots. And maybe that's a guy you looked at and was like, all right, if someone jumps ship right now, maybe JJ can fill in that spot. And do some things for me here um but it will be interesting to see like how joe kind of builds his staff over time here i'm still surprised they haven't named him like the coach that might be like some like yeah. legal thing or you know uh just kind of waiting and seeing what's going to happen with the email thing there but he's the coach i think he might win coach of the year just based off like the situation he was in and uh you know this will kind of become his world into the future i'm excited to see him kind of build on it because you're already seeing him kind of go from like this real guarded figure stepping into this role without a lot of experience and in the wake of all this like controversy and now things are settling down and they're winning and he can kind of be himself a little bit. Like I love that uh, little quip he had about the Royal family, Adam, when they stopped in, like <laughs> he's starting to be himself. So a hard to, like I said this to you in, in, in a chat that we were in, I was like, dude, no one here cares about the book. <laughs> like I, I honestly think, people like where you're at care more than what we actually it seems about. like it people will line up on the streets waiting to see them i was like what what is going on and so i thought i know some people who bought tickets to the game to see them forget the game they were trying to see them you i don't see, understand like, yeah, no one cares like does it, i'm not saying no one there's a a large contingent of people that do but i've never met i've met one person actually in my entire 35 years on the planet i've met one person that actually cared everyone else is like <laughs> now nah, forget that man 
and the just... play, yeah, it was so funny that the players were getting asked, like they care, like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's coach. What... I don't know why they thought asking Jalen Brown was like a good idea. It's like of I know Jalen like, especially. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, sorry. Like there's a there's a whole lot of history I won't break it. I didn't recognize the voice. I it was know. a seven news report, a local TV. So it sort of became like more of like a local story too, outside of sports. And I don't know. It was weird too. There were so many like reporters from Britain um, there for the game. They had like, they gave a ton of credentials for the game to people who were just there to cover the family. And we were upstairs. I was like, all right. I'll show up here for a day. It's fine. <laughs> you should have man. Like, yo, you should have, you should have bought Adam. Um, I think that wraps us up. Though I know you're getting ready to go out to the to the, uh, San Francisco to begin that trip. It's going to be warm. It's going to, wait, you said it was going to be wet. It's still going to be warm. Oh, rainy in San Fran, but LA should be nice. Yeah, man. And then uh, it's a good, it's a big game, man. You, I mean, you get to see, you know, it, as much as what Tatum said, it was going to be just another game to. It's still a big game because it is a measuring stick. Regardless of how the Warriors are playing right now, they bring their A game. We're finally going to see like what Boston's new offense looks like going up against Warriors basketball that's been so dominant for the last five, six years. Yeah, and hopefully the Warriors show up. It stinks Wiggins got hurt. He's probably not going to play. Uh, that's a guy who I think was the X factor in the finals, gave Tatum a lot of trouble, was great hub of offense for them off of Curry. So that changes everything immediately. And then I guess they sat Curry and Green against Utah. So hopefully they'll at least be good to go. But these aren't the same Warriors. It's been shocking to see. 13 and 13, defense a mess early, offense just looking for guys to contribute. These guys like Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb are stepping in. And those guys weren't part of that team last year. It was Barry Payton, who was a huge part of what they did looking back on it. And Otto Porter was pretty important, too. Uh, it's a whole different game for them this year. And they're still one of those teams I expect to be there at the end when they figure everything out. But they obviously thought the younger guys were going to step in and um, do a better job there. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about, like, what can what can challenge the Celtics? Like, what's going to knock them off if they do fall short of a championship this year? And the one thing I'm looking at is that KD thing. We opened the show talking about, like, if he moves this year, where would it be? Toronto? That changes a lot in Toronto. Uh, Phoenix, I think that brings Phoenix to a new level. Golden State, that was always kind of floating there. And I don't know if they have the pieces to do a deal, but if they were able to give up like everything, all their picks, all these young guys, I don't know if that's even enough. Maybe you got to throw Wiggins in there, and he sort of has that weird rule that you can't play with Simmons. So that's another thing the Nets would have to figure out at that point. But all of a sudden, you reunite Curry, Durant, those guys, Green, that'd be a team, I think, that could maybe stick with the Celtics. But, uh, you know, then you're kind of getting back together and trying to work with each other again and get that chemistry. So I'm looking at Durant. I, I hope he ends up on another team this year because I don't know where Brooklyn's going with Kyrie and Simmons and all that. And he's still at such a high level. You want to see him be there in the mix. And I don't know if he can do it with Brooklyn, but we'll see. I've got no confidence that he can do it with Brooklyn. I also want to point out that the Warriors' issues right now are exactly what we saw Boston going through um, the last two years of age, where you're kind of, you've got your stars of now, the present, but you've also trying to build for the future. You've trying yeah, to you got your Neesmiths and your Romeos there. Yeah. And, uh, and eat it Pritchard. Too. You, you just can't figure it out because it's too difficult because 
if you're not giving the minutes to the young guys to develop them, they're not going to hit their potential, so they won't be stars. And if you, but you've already got Steph, Clay, Draymond, you should be trying to flip these young guys, as you said, into that fourth guy or that next big star. And if if that's Durant, so be. It. If it's someone a bit younger, so then you've at least got someone to kind of team up with Wiggins when Steph and Clay do start to kind of wind their careers down. And great too. But keeping all these young guys makes no sense. But I'm all for it if it means that Boston have one less team to worry about in the finals. Yeah, and. Uh... Clay, that's a big one. It's tough watching him right now. He's just not Clay anymore. And I don't know if he can get back there. He was okay in the finals last year. He had a few moments, but they sort of won in spite of him to some degree and some of the ups and downs he had. That's what they really need to figure out is how they can get him right or move on from him or whatever they potentially do. I don't think they can move on from him with the contract he's on, but. They're going to have to make a move, I think. And they're still one of those teams you look at and say, like, they have enough of those intangibles, the toughness, the experience in those big spots uh, to be able to obviously win the West. The West doesn't look that tough. But, uh, you know, maybe beat the Celtics when push comes to shove. I still think that's what we're going to see somehow or another, a Celtics-Warriors finals. The NBA won that to happen. Most certainly the NBA won that rematch to happen. What a great matchup that was. It was fun. It was fun. But like, you know, you got Curry, you got Tate. That was like after a Buck Suns one that was kind of awkward, weird markets, Giannis and Paul and all those guys are stars, but not quite Tatum and Curry. The NBA was loving that, that San Francisco Boston thing happening. You want to speak, Tim? You're sitting there looking like you <laughs> We talked about wrapping it up, and then we wanted to. We were talking. Yeah, so we'll, <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. I mean, I know I don't know if you got packing to do, Bobby. Or... Yeah, a little bit of packing, a little bit of writing. Then uh, I guess it's a seven-hour flight. I, I sleep pretty good on flights, so I'll stay up late and do all do that. You have a connecting and... flight? No, straight through. Damn! Don't you think that's wild that I can get to Boston in the same time it takes you to get to LA? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's. Is it similar distances? I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, it's almost. Right. Yeah. It usually takes a little bit less. Than so Boston hours. is for me. Boston is basically the halfway point. So it's uh-huh. almost the exact same distance. Yeah, that makes sense. Which and then there's those wind. It's tougher going out west than it is going west to east because of those winds and all that. So that's what makes it a little bit longer. And um, yeah, so I'll see if I can catch practice tomorrow. I think it's early. I don't think I'm gonna make it, but we'll see. They'll be practicing tomorrow. Um, I'm sure there'll be some stuff out of there. Rob with the team so we'll see if he practices and i guess what was saying last night it'll be like 10 to 12 days i was hearing there's a chance he might play on this trip um, but if that's the case and it's 10 to 12 days you're probably looking at like that magic mini series back home um, though if, if he's on the trip you might see him practicing and see how he reacts and joe's been saying like when he's ready when he feels comfortable that's when they might plug him in so uh, it could be any day now it feels like Man, I'm excited to see Rob back. And the one, the downside is, like, whenever a guy, you ain't seen a guy in a while, you want to see what they've improved on. And with Rob, it's not going to be that way because he hasn't had time to work on anything apart from, like, you know, rehabbing. But just what he brings in general, you know, the above-the-rim game, the, the, the weak side Roma being able to contest guys. You'll see the Celtics gamble more. You know what I mean? They'll start t- taking a few more risks. Not like they don't take risks defensively now anyway. Uh, and I'm then then I'm curious to see what happens with that that big man rotation. I think we're going to see a big shift in how minutes are distributed among those bigs, and what happens. What what do you stick with the Rob and Al, 
or do you want to move out to the bench now and then st- try and start building that Rob and Grant kind of partnership? Because that feels like what, that's going to be the, the the big man pairing moving forward, right? That yeah. kind of feels like it, it needs to start getting developed sooner or later. I'd love to see Rob in that Cornette role because you think all the things Cornette is doing well right now, Rob's capable of doing that at an even higher level. And I wonder... Is there any chance we see Rob try the cornet contest? That's what. <laughs> no, 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 no. Rob can close the distance too quickly. Cornet. That's what. Like, I think Cornet does it, and I see the benefits. What do you think of it, Tay? You're, 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 you're kind of in the weeds of the game. Do you think it works? You asking me or Tim? Uh, you, me. I think it works a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I think it's a line of sight thing, right? So, I'll go back to the bubble. Do you remember when everyone, when all the players in the bubble were like, oh? It's going to take us a while because we don't have our reference points for our shots. Yeah, yeah, the depth perception, yeah. Yeah, and like I think that when you've got someone like Cornet who's like 7-2 already and then he's jumping, so then he's probably up to like, what, nine foot in the air, that it's so hard to kind of get your depth perception, get those reference points, keep that line of sight and get the shot off. And you feel like you've got to shoot over that nine feet, right? Even though obviously he's going to be coming back down. I think it makes a difference. I, I I don't think it's as impactful as what the numbers say. I think we're going to see that start leveling out some point some point before the end of the season. But it's got it's got to make a difference, man. Could you shoot over like a seven foot guy jumping two more feet in the air? That's what I'd like to you know try. I don't know if I'd get the opportunity. You going to ask him <laughs> for scientific purposes? I don't. Know. I want ESPN sports science on it. You know when? It yeah, is? actually, if we keep like we keep pushing this to like the forefront, it will happen. Mm. That would be a good. They used to do great segments like that. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't even know if they do yeah, that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they do uh... them, but it's a lot less frequently, and it's mm-hmm. nowhere near as in depth as it used to be. Those that would be the perfect candidate for that. <laughs> Hopefully, to watch this video and then we can get some credit for it, man. Yeah, right, Bobby, man. Thank you for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. It's always fun when we get to chop it up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, look out for our post game coverage out there. We'll be uh, we'll be live after all the games as we usually are here on uh, CLNS. How many of you are going? Just me, but uh, you know all the all the other guys that will be in the studio. So, you know, check us out. Peace. Cheers.